you. The passage of scripture that I'd like us to look at today together is found in the Sermon on the Mount. It's in Matthew chapter 7. I think it'll be on the screen, or maybe you'd like to turn in your Bible and look more closely to it. Um, This is that great sermon where Jesus addresses his disciples with the principles of the kingdom of God. And uh, we're going to pick it up in Matthew chapter 7. And we'll begin reading in verse 7 through 11. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. For which of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks him for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Father, we thank you that as we've sung today, you are are good, so good. Father, thank you that there is no darkness in you. There's nothing that would cause us to fear you in an evil way, that there's something twisted or wrong in you. Thank you and praise you that you are righteous, that you are true, that you are holy. The evil comes from the evil one on this planet, and the evil on this planet comes from the human heart that's fallen. God, we thank you that what you do is good, that you want to take us who are born with a fallen old nature. You want to make us new through the work of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And you want to make us those who, as the Great Commission says, obey everything that he has taught us. And we thank you for this, that you taught us, Lord Jesus. We claim the promise that you are with us always to the end of the age. We claim the promise that the Holy Spirit will teach us and guide us into truth. We gather today in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. The disciples asked Jesus in the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, to teach them to pray. And you remember that we have from that the treasure of the Lord's Prayer. And that's in Matthew chapter 6. Well, here in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus returns to the subject of prayer and he gives us three promises so that we might have power in prayer. He gives us three precious promises because he knows that We need these to help overcome our old nature, which is full of apathy and indifference, pride, self-sufficiency, fears as it relates to God, even fatalism in our attitudes. He wants to empower us as the children of God to pray our good Father. 
And so he gives us three, these three promises, and that's what we're going to look at today. I think you have a bulletin insert if you want to look along, you'll be able to follow there. And the first of these promises, of course, is verse 7, ask, and it will be given to you. Five times in these verses, it's ask. It's interesting to think of ask, seek, knock. First letter spells A, S, K. Ask, seek, knock. Five times we're encouraged to ask. The Lord's Prayer taught us that whatever our need is, we're to pray and we're to ask God for it. We're to ask Him for our daily bread. We're to ask Him for the power to forgive. We ask Him to lead us. We ask Him to deliver us from temptation and from evil. We ask, and we're invited to do that as a child of God, with boldness and confident faith. So I was thinking about how to illustrate this in a real way. I was thinking back to a trip we had with our family, with David and Beth and Savannah and Malachi, where we were in the south at a hotel and on the beach in May, and it was hot. And one night we went out to play miniature golf, and it had been a long day, and we were out on the miniature golf course, and Savannah, the three-year-old, who is going on 13 in the way she acts, looked up at me and she said, Pop. I'm thirsty. I need water. We're out in the middle of this miniature golf course. By a miracle of God's grace, as I was going through the counter to pay, the woman said, uh, hey, if you'll give us a $5 contribution for this charity, we'll give you a bottle of water. And so I said, okay. So I stuck that in my back pocket. Wow, it was so great. thirsty, I need water. And I pulled out that bottle of water and I gave it to Savannah. And she was so happy and those big brown eyes looked up to me with such gratitude. All through the rest of the time, Pop, I'm hungry, I'm thirsty, I need more water. And she finished off that bottle by the end of the time. And that just was a picture to me that You know, by giving her water when she really needed it, there was something that brought us closer. And I thought about that's really what God wants with us. He wants us to come and tell him what we need because he wants us to come closer. He wants us to trust him that he's good, that he knows how to give good things to his children. Now, every maturing child of God knows that there are times when we've asked God for things, and in the end, we really didn't want them. I was thinking back to a few years ago when I thought I really wanted this one job, and so I went through the process, and I prayed, and I asked God that he might give this job to me, and the answer was no. A few months later, I asked our our singer-songwriter daughter to write a song, which she did, and I asked her to call it A Thousand Thank You Notes.
because as I looked back on that request and that thing I wanted, I saw that if God had given that to me, it would have been the worst thing possible for me, that I was exactly where I needed to be. And that would have not gone well. And so it is that God is faithful to us. That in the asking, it's not just an unconditional, whatever we ask for is automatic. But no, there are two conditions, if you will, that are really like a safety net in our bold asking. And the first of these safety nets, as I call them in prayer, is that we have to ask in faith. And so it is in James chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. James writes, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. And so as we ask, we have to ask in faith. We have to ask believing God. And as we ask, there's a second condition to asking. And that is that we need to ask according to the will of God. And so 1 John 5, 14 and 15 says, This is the confidence we have that in prayer as we approach God, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of him. So it is that God, when we're asking and we're praying according to his will for things like wisdom and all the things in Scripture that are promised to us, we can have a sense that we're praying according to the will of God and we pray in faith, motivated by the promises of the word. There's a very good book on prayer if you want to read one that takes a while to read, but it has just some great stories in it great exhortations as it relates to prayer. It's a book called, called Prayer, Does It Make Any Difference? by Philip Yancey. Probably my favorite story that he brings out in this book goes back to 1770s and the Constitutional Convention where our forefathers gathered in Philadelphia to write the Constitution that has lasted so long reflects such wisdom. Yancey brings out an illust- uh, a time when four contentious weeks had failed to produce a single word in four weeks toward the writing of the Constitution of the United States. And Benjamin Franklin, a man very respected, rose and addressed George Washington. The longer I live, Franklin said, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth that God governs in the affairs of men. He went on to state his fear that the various factions would argue their own interests and reach no agreement. Franklin went on to say, without God's aid, without his help, We shall succeed in this political building no better than the builders of Babel. And Franklin made a motion that henceforth prayers can 
imploring the assistance of heaven and its blessings on our deliberations be held in the assembly every morning. And this practice continues in the United States Congress to this day. Founding fathers reached that point where they cried out to God for wisdom. And they did it in faith, and they did it in submission to what God would reveal and bring to agreement among them. And oh, that we might have leaders again that don't treat prayer as some kind of a formality. But there's a heart full of faith, and there's a submission to what the will of God is. And so the promise is that if we'll ask, it'll be given to us. There's a second promise. Seek and you will find. You know, when we ask for something that somebody else is the only one who can give it to us for, we ask. James says, ask for wisdom. God's the only one who can give us this kind of wisdom from above. And so we ask in faith for what only God can give us. And some prayers, like this prayer for wisdom, when we need it in a a daily way, are only an ask away. But you know, some answers linger. They're hidden. They don't come as we ask. Some answers take time. Some wisdom is just an ask away, but some wisdom is hidden and we must seek it. And this is described for us in Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 to 7, the need to seek. Solomon Solomon writes, My son, if you accept these my words and store up my commands within you, heart to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding. Indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God for the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. So some prayer is, <clears throat> some answers to prayer are just an ask away, but others are hidden and hard to find, and we have to seek them like silver. I don't know much about seeking silver, but the little I read, I mean, it's usually hidden in the ground, sometimes in a silver mine in these days, and you have to go in and you have to separate it from the rest of the dirt and the ore that's around it, and then you have to smelt it, and it takes a great deal of seeking to find silver, and probably even more to find hidden treasure. And so this is a description of, sometimes in prayer, this is what we need. We have to seek. We have to be perseverant. We have to cry out. We have to ask and continue to ask. God seems hidden, and the answer doesn't just come. So I ask myself, why is it that sometimes we can hop onto God's lap and ask for water and he gives it immediately, and other times God seems to hide from us? And there is no answer. 
that comes immediately. Some of the reasons I thought about is that sometimes we're fickle and we lose interest and we need to seek God in prayer. It proves we're really serious over a period of time. I think sometimes we have to seek because we're like that caterpillar that's trying to get out of the mess and fly. And it's through persevering in prayer that God develops our character and brings us into full bloom. You know, some answers we just have to keep seeking and seeking and seeking because the answer comes over a lifetime, like a solid marriage or a meaningful ministry or fun family. But there's another reason in this passage as to why we have to seek that I think is pretty might overlook. Another reason that we need to seek God and that God hides from us is that by nature we are sinners and we're not by nature those who seek God. We're prone to wander. And did you notice in the comment of Jesus that if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give give good gifts to you if you, being evil. When I was a young pastor, I served 13 years in Dubuque, Iowa as a pastor of a local church like this. One day, I was studying for a month or two the kind of the image of God in man. I just made a little aside during a sermon saint came up to me afterwards and said, Rick, you said we're good to God, but by nature we're not good. And I went back to scripture and I came across this passage, if you being evil. I thought about the fact, yes, we're made in the image of God and there's goodness there, but we're fallen and we have an old nature and it's by nature evil. It's in rebellion, it's against God, it's going the other way. When we're born again, God gives us a new nature that hungers after God, that seeks God, that wants God. But that's our new nature and not the old nature that we were originally with and that people have until they're born again. And so that next Sunday, I had to go before the church and I asked their forgiveness. And I said, you know, I really misled you last week because I made that little crack, that little side comment and it was wrong brought them this scripture, if you being evil. We always need to remember that by nature, we have an old nature that's not seeking God, and that God is the seeker, and that Christ came to seek us and to save us and to make us seekers after God, because by nature, we are like wild horses. We are unbroken. We run from God. We roam the range doing what we want, thinking we can meet all of our needs. So how does God turn us into seekers after him? Maybe some of you have read this book or seen this movie. It's pretty cool. It's called The Man Who Listens to Horses. Basis for a movie called The Horse Whisperer. 
It's the story of a man who loved Mustangs out on the range in Montana. And his family were ranchers and they were horse traders. He came from that kind of family. And his family, and he was taught as a young man to round up the Mustangs from the range and put them into a corral and break their spirit. They were hard on them. They would put ropes around them and jerk those horses to break their spirit. They would throw them to the ground. They'd tie a rope around the neck of a horse and then around the hoof to disable it, to humble it, to bring it into submission. And it took weeks and weeks of this breaking of the horse. Amati noticed something. He noticed that the Mustangs on the open range hated to be alone. And if they were separated from the herd, they could become sick and even die. And so Monty thought of a new approach to taming Mustangs. He would get them one by one in a corral with him, just the two. And then he would stay as far away as possible from that Mustang. And as it pranced around one end of the corral, he'd be at the opposite end. As the Mustang would come a little closer and get up on its hind legs, he would just ignore the the horse. When the Mustang would pound its hoofs in the ground, trying to get the attention of Monty, he would divert his eyes. He'd never look into the eyes of the horse. Sometimes after just an hour or two, that Mustang would come over Monty said, these animals need contact with others so much they'd rather befriend their enemy than to be left alone. They would rather befriend an enemy than to be left alone. And you know, God has made us for himself. And isn't it great that God does not force himself upon us? He does not try to break our spirit. He doesn't throw us to the ground. He doesn't put ropes around our neck. No, God broke his own son or allowed him to be broken on the cross as the sacrifice for our sin to show us how much he loves us so that we could see that we could trust him, this kind of love, this kind of sacrifice for us. And we might then be drawn to him and find life in Christ. So it is that God hides himself from us. But his purpose is good because he wants us to seek him. And the promise is that if we seek, we will find. Because it's the crucified Christ who turns seekers into sinners, into seekers who seek after God. Well, there's a third promise here that we can meditate on this week, I hope. And that is that first we need to think about asking be given to us, like a child asking for a bottle of water. Need some water over here or something. (laughs) And 
so we ask and it will be given to us. And we seek and we will find. What a great promise. And the third promise is that we can knock and the door will be opened. Now we've all knocked on doors that if they had opened, we probably would have been damaged or destroyed and we're glad they didn't open. And so what can happen is we can kind of stop knocking. But the assurance here is, is that if we keep knocking, God will open his door. And this is a promise to keep us knocking, to move us away from our our indifference and our pride and our self-sufficiency, to keep knocking. God's door will open. For me, Revelation 3, 7, and 8 has been a powerful promise that I've relied upon. As a superintendent, I work with pastors all the time who are looking to serve in a church. And at the end of my time of talking with them, I'll often quote in prayer, As they're seeking, they're knocking, they're looking for the opportunity that God has for them. They're looking for that open door. Quote to them these great verses to the Church of Philadelphia in Revelation chapter 3, verses 7 and 8, where the scripture says to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write, these are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. For I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Coming out of seminary, Jan and I had no idea where we would end up in 1979. We asked, we sought, we knocked, we sent out resumes, we made inquiries. You know what it's like to try to find a position when we're knocking on doors. We learned through that, that time in our lives and also in other times where, like when we had to come back from Russia because of a family health crisis and I had to take another role somewhere, we didn't know any, we didn't, had no idea where we were going to go. There's two truths about God opening doors that we've learned through the years. First, that God opens his door when we are ready. When we are ready, God opens the door. Coming out of seminary, what I really wanted was, I'd gone to seminary in Deerfield, Illinois, and I really wanted to stay in Chicago for my ministry and coming out of seminary. Every door we knocked on was closed. Then one day I went in to talk to the placement director at our seminary, and he said, hey, they need pulp to supply out in Dubuque, Iowa. Are you ready to go? And we went, and God used that first pulpit experience to lead to 13 years of serving that church. And 
I'm so grateful looking back that God didn't send us somewhere into Chicago because it was in Dubuque that I learned how to be a father and I learned how to be a husband and I learned how to be a pastor. And if I'd been in a big city somewhere, I don't know that would have happened with me. And so it is that God opens a door when we're ready for it. Isn't that a great assurance that God is not going to give us something that will take us down? He's going to say no to that. For whatever the reason, no. But God will open the door when we're ready for it. Secondly, God will open the door that when others are ready for it. After many years in Dubuque, we went there in 1979. After many years of serving there, we just really... I had a restlessness in me. In the early 90s, I was invited to go on a missions trip to Hong Kong and to Guangzhou, China, to see where the work of the Evangelical Free Church started in missions in 1887 to Pons Van And so 12 pastors went on this trip to Hong Kong, and there were 40 or 50 Evangelical Free Churches in Hong Kong, and we went each Sunday morning to preach in one of those churches. It was a great experience, and on that trip in 1991, the missions director of our mission invited our family to move to Moscow, Russia, because the wall had fallen in 1989, and he asked us to move and become the first missionaries of the Evangelical Free Church in, in Moscow, Russia. I had waited sent my resume in endless places all through the end of the 80s, and now all of a sudden comes the invitation. Russia wasn't ready, but at just the right time, when others were ready, God opened the door for us so that we could make a contribution based on who we were. And we continue to be involved in the church that we we're pastoring there. We were there in February for three weeks. We're planning on going back. We'll try to go back in the next two or three years. Because God now knows that we're ready. Because God knows that they're ready. And so he says, I'll open the door for you at just the right time. Because you have a little strength and you've kept my word and you've not denied my name. So here's three final questions to ask as we apply this passage. What are you asking God for today? I want to just take a few seconds here just to give you a chance to ask that question and to think of one thing, honestly. What's one thing, honestly, that is a need you have that you're asking God? thing you really need. And if you can't think of anything you need, wow. It might be wisdom, forgiveness, patience, maybe the fruit of the Spirit, relationship building. Do you really need God to do this for you? Think about what it is that you And then think about
think about something that you're seeking that God seems to be hidden. God seems to be saying no. God seems to be unresponsive. What is it that you need to seek? And keep seeking in prayer, trusting that as it's according to the will of God and you ask in faith, you will find. And then finally, is there a door you're knocking on today? Is there a door to a reconciled relationship? Is there a door to a new ministry? Is there a door to change? Is there a door to enter into a new adventure? Isn't it great to know that God's just not going to open the door of this time like you need? You're not ready and I'm not ready. But when you are and when that situation is just right, God is the one that's promised to knock on the door for you. His door will be opened. Father, we thank you for our Lord Jesus. Thank you for him returning to prayer in the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord's Prayer, giving us these precious promises. God, we thank you that you are the one who seeks us. And Father, maybe someone's here today and they know they've just been a wild horse. They've been running the other way. They've been in rebellion. They've broken through every fence they can find. God, thank you that you're the seeker, that even when we have not sought you, you seek us. Do it through your kindness and your goodness that we see in the face of Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. As we close this morning, first thank you, Rick, for the word. Maybe as you're considering what it is that you're asking for or seeking God for, the door you're knocking on. Um, As we close this morning, let's sing together of of Jesus' great power and ability and even his desire to answer those prayers. Amen? So would you stand with me? And uh, we'll sing with this confidence that, that Jesus can do it. In fact... Uh, as we, we heard already from First John 5, this is the confidence we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us.